Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. Little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. We need your support. The Tortoise Shack relies entirely on you to keep the show on the road. Mics on, lights on and conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. The simplest way to do that is to click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It is at the top of the pod right now. So while you're listening, give us the 90 seconds it'll take you to click in, find the level that suits your budget and help keep this show on the road. It is the easiest bit of activism you can do and you'll get a ton of additional content including lots of exclusives, all of our podcasts in one consolidated feed and they're entirely plea free. So not only will you be helping keeping these microphones on, you'll be giving yourself the gift of not having to listen to me beg, but beg I must. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise Enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Palcast um, again a podcast brought to you by uh, me Yusuf Al Jamal here in, in Istanbul and uh, my great co-hosts uh, Helena Coben the president of Just Word Educational who's joining us from Washington DC and uh, Tony Groves who's joining us uh, from Dublin uh, Tony is uh, our great producer he is with the uh, Echo Chamber um, podcast, and he's been uh, doing a, a great job for, for us. Uh, today is February 6, 2024, and it's 4 p.m. here in, in Istanbul. I just received uh, my youngest brother and my mom, who arrived from Gaza uh, two days ago after 118 days of genocide. They're still traumatized. They feel traumatized every time a car um, passes by or if they hear any loud noise uh, i think we have to think about the long-term implications of people on gaza and you know what happened to to, to them over um, 120 days of genocide the stress the lack of food the lack of water um the ongoing you know bombardment but i'm i'm going to talk about all of this but before i would like to welcome uh tony and helena to, to the podcast and um give them the floor if if they want to say a few words yeah um i will just first of all it's such an honor to be working with you on this project yusuf and i know you're going through a lot and i am really you know looking forward in the most empathetic way that I can to hearing more f- of the news from your mother and your brother. Um, so that will be the main thing on on today's episode. But first, I have a few headlines. You know, there is actually nothing particularly new. Anthony Blinken is back in the region for what is it, the fifth time, sixth time, seventh time. And, you know, he never achieve it, achieves anything. He talks with various leaders and and that's it. Because, of course, in my view, um, I think President Biden is quite happy to let the Israelis go on as long as they want um, and to kill as many people as they want. That's my editorial. <laughs> Sorry. Um, around the region, of course, we have the American military and Navy um continuing to launch sporadic attacks, many of them actually lethal on people and installations all around West Asia from um Syria, Iran, 
Iraq, not Iran as of now, Yemen and in in the Red Sea and the uh, Gulf of Aden. So they are standing back, trying not to, for now, attack Iran and it but it's always a constant threat. So that that is definitely front of mind right now. There is, as usual, chaos in the Israeli government, and the only thing they can agree on is that they want to carry on killing Palestinians in Gaza. But, you know, the, the degree of chaos in the Israeli governing structure is is notable at this point. And the last thing I'll, I'll just say as a news headline is there have been yet more attacks on aid convoys, including attacks from the sea, from the Israeli Navy. You know, it's the Isra- the, the formal Israeli Navy is the only force there in the sea that is capable of launching those attacks. Um, and, and they clearly are doing it Aid workers are now saying that 110,000 people in Gaza are either dead, wounded, or missing under the rubble. Um, so sorry to bring all this news to you. Um, Tony, you had something to say. Yeah, just I, I, I will note a one little little headline, which was maybe will become more significant in the next while is Nicaragua taking the case um, to the ICJ against uh, Germany, Canada and UK for uh, for enabling the genocide and the Israeli occupation by supplying it with arms. That is interesting that that's you know, another thing to watch uh, but I, on, a, on a personal level, um, listeners to the echo chamber and I know um, people will, will, will be very aware of Zach and I and his situation as, a, as an Irish Palestinian man and how he's been stuck in Rafa uh, and I, I know Yusuf is, is, friend, is friendly with Zach as well but he had some very bad news this, earlier this week whereby his, um, his cousin Eunice who was um, very badly injured in an airstrike that killed his, his wife, his, his daughter-in-law and two of his, of his grandchildren a couple of months ago uh, and then had to have his leg removed, and we know what the situations are. We know how horrendous it's been for amputations to be done without anaesthetic, and what people have gone through. He needed treatment. He was. They wanted to get him out because they couldn't give him the, the correct or the treatments that and medicines that he required. And he sadly died two months afterwards of his injuries. He will probably he will not show up as a victim of of an Israeli airstrike, but he absolutely was killed by the same bombs that killed his many of his family. His um. Uh, the, the his son remains with Zach, and uh, the family are devastated and heartbroken. And I think you know we, it's quite it's we can lose sight because we keep seeing you know 113 people died since Sunday, 250 people over the weekend. Behind each every one of these, there's a Eunice, there's a there's a there's a Rushdi, there's there's all of these people who who have their own stories and their lives are cut short. So, um, and I just want to say to my friend Zach, if you're listening, pal, um, I'm really sorry that you're 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 going through this still. It, it's it, it's breaking my heart, and I wish our Department of Foreign Affairs would do more. Thanks, Tony. So now, um, Yusuf, your mother and your uh, beloved younger brother, uh, Omar, came out very recently, um, joined you in Istanbul just a couple of days ago. What can you tell us? I know you want to tell us a lot about um, them and their situation. So I have noticed um, a few observations, um, staying with them for, um, you know, a few hours um, Sunday, we we spent the whole day together. We went around Istanbul. They were very tired. You can tell, like, you do not have to gaze in their faces. It's very visible. 
um, the lack of weight, I mean, losing weight and the lack of um, sleep uh, is very visible on, on their faces. And um, uh, although they were able to sleep for a few hours uh, on their way to Turkey and, and in Cairo and in Larish, they spent another night there. And it was, a, in fact, a miracle that my mom was able to, to leave because the Israelis did not approve her name. They did not approve my father's name and my mom's name, but my mom went to the border anyway and she tried. And um, it was really difficult um, to get out, but eventually uh, I thought maybe because of Omar, they will have some mercy on her. Um, Omar has a disability and he needs my mom. Uh, so the lack of sleep is very clear. For the past two days, I left them. I said, okay, just go and sleep. And every time I text Omar, where are you guys? Said, we just woke up. Because for four months, they couldn't sleep in Gaza. The bombing, every time they sleep, they sleep for two, three hours a day. For four months, um, it's unbelievable. And you can imagine the impact of the lack of sleep on their general health and the way they look, um, their ability to function and think and uh, just lead a normal life. Um, the other observation is the lack of food. Starvation is real in Gaza. Although I lived through two wars in Gaza, I grew up there. I have family. I've been always, uh, you know, uh, in contact with, with my family, in touch with my family. But I was surprised by the amount of starvation, even my family that was able to uh, provide and get basic uh, necessities and food. Um, Omar probably lost 30% of his weight. Uh, my mom too, and she, my mom was telling me about my other siblings. All of them lost uh, much of their weight. And uh, my mom, I mean, my family always had food, even a, a meal a day. They never like slept without having food for the past four months. But there are also thousands of families and people who sleep every day in Gaza hungry because they do not have access to a single meal a day. Let's, let's remember them and let's remember what happened to them. In fact, many Palestinians lost their lives. And Tony was talking about Zach's cousin losing his life. There are people who are losing their lives because of salvation. Women, men, and children every day in the north of Gaza, people are eating tree leaves. This is real. They're slaughtering donkeys and horses. They're eating animal food because, I mean, I think Israel is now trying to push Palestinians out of the north of Gaza and Gaza in general through starvation. So bombing them for four months didn't work because 400,000 Palestinians stayed to, to uh, I mean, chose to stay in, in the north of Gaza. And now they're using starvation uh, and siege uh, to, to push people uh, to the north of Gaza, I mean, to, to the south of Gaza, sorry, and to Dar el-Balah in particular from Gaza City. Uh, so salvation is real. Uh, there are people who are dying every day. Um, and you know, if you look at prices, it's crazy. This is another issue. Um, a kilo of onions costs from 10 to $13 in Gaza. Imagine like a place that has been under siege. People do not have money and it costs, it used to cost less than half a dollar 
uh, before October 7. Now it's 10 to 13 dollars. And do you have the money to get that? Do people in Gaza have the money to get that? Even if you have money after four months of buying, you know, basic products at, you know, these crazy high prices, you will run out of money. You will no longer have savings. And it goes on. If you want to get, you know, um, flour, for example, or uh, rice, or beans, you know, just basic things to survive. I've seen prices I've seen, are just crazy. Zach was telling me the price of eggs has gone up six hundred and fifty percent. Six hundred. Absolutely, and an egg costs today five shekels, which is about a uh, dollar and a half, a single egg. Uh, in Gaza, um, and I, ninety nine percent of people in Gaza cannot afford even like the prices before October seven. <laughs> what about now when they not just triple, like ten times more, more than ten times more in some cases? Even getting you know um, a service like a shuttle service uh, to go to the Rafah crossing from Nusayrat was a struggle. For my, my, my siblings, they had to go around and ask. And luckily, they had a friend who has a car, but he happened to be in Rafah. So he had to drive from Rafah to Nusayarat and pick them up from Nusayarat and go back to Rafah. And on his way back, he picked up my sister and her husband and, and kids. They lost their home in Maghazi. They've been displaced in Rafah and they decided to go back to Nusayarat. And it's very risky. If you think about the risk of moving in a car in Gaza, especially around Israeli forces in Khan Yunis and Rafah, it's too scary. But they had to do that. Well, there is no safe place, evidently. Um, and I'm, I'm just wondering about your, your mom and, and your brother, um, as much as you've had time with them. How is their kind of mental health, their mental well-being? So every time they hear something, even a car, not loud, they they would say, oh, they would wake up. Like if they're sleeping, they told me that they woke up the first day they got here multiple times, although they were very tired and sleepy, uh, thinking that it's an Israeli airstrike, Israeli shell, Israeli missile falling on them. And I think this is, they told me, this is one of the reasons why people lost weight because it's been four months, you know, you're just sitting somewhere in Gaza and thinking that, you will be the next target for four months. The stress of thinking that you will be the next target uh, made a lot of people also lose lose weight. So absolutely, they need... I mean, if you think of Omar, Omar was born in 2006. That's the year Israeli soldier Jilad Shalit was kidnapped in Gaza. And he was in, in, in Hamas um, prison for five years. The day is, I mean, Hamas kidnapped Jilad Shalit, who was released in... Uh, just just, just to remind for, listeners, that was the Israeli soldier who, who just in case they're unfamiliar, yeah? Yeah, he, he was kidnapped and from his tank and he was released in uh, return for releasing uh, 1,027 Palestinian political prisoners from Israeli jails in 2011. But yeah, so since then, that day, Israel bombed Gaza's only power plant in our refugee camp. So Omar never lived a normal life, a normal, a single day of normal life in Gaza. 
2006, you have electricity outages, Israeli attacks never stopped, and then the Israeli siege on Gaza, 2007, Israel's attack on Gaza in 2008-2009, cost led 1,500 Palestinians were killed, and then 2012, um, 220 Palestinians were, called, were killed, and in 2014, 2,200 Palestinians were killed, 2018-19, the Great March of Return, then 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. You know, so, you, absolute destruction and lack of hope. Yusuf, I'm really glad you mentioned the Great March of Return because that's something that I know a lot of people here in the United States haven't heard enough about. And I think it provides really essential background to what is hap has been happening since October because the Great March of Return was a, a an amazing project that Ahmed Abur Tema and various other community leaders in Gaza organized to have the refugees in Gaza walk towards the frontier, which is not an international border. It's only an armistice line. And th these people have been, been promised by the United Nations that they have the right of return in the context of peace. So completely peacefully, thousands of people every Friday after, after Friday prayers would try to walk to, to and across the frontier in order to regain their rights and their properties and their homes and their farms there on the other side of the frontier. And the Israelis posted, posted snipers on the border who would snipe either at the legs or the hearts of the, of the people marching peacefully. It was very similar to what the civil rights movement did in this country, you know, marching peacefully to take their rights. But in this country, they were only, you know, they were attacked with uh, whips and, and dogs, and a few of them were killed, but nothing like what happened during the Great March of Return um, back in 2018. So I, I think that's essential background for people to understand who think that somehow Palestinians are just always violent and, and you know, unruly and out of control. No, the Great March of Return proved that that was not the case if anybody needed proving. Just wanted to add that because you were talking about, you know, the, the long history of attacks that the people of Gaza have, have put up with. And were you about to say, I think you were, that, you know, what your, your mother and brother have been talking about is worse than any of those? Absolutely. They told me that what we see on TV is just 10% of what is happening to, to people. And uh, speaking of the Great March of Return, what did Israel uh, do to the founder of the Great March of Return? They targeted him and he survived. It was a miracle. Ahmed Abortema was badly injured. He lost his son uh, and I think his aunt, um, 80 years old, and in, in the airstrike. So... People in Gaza have tried everything. Uh, Omar watched that his mental health, he never received any mental health support as a child with, his, with a disability growing up under siege um, with lack of clean water, um, airstrikes. This is his life, basically 18 years of oppression. This is the story of Gaza. Since day one, Omar was born on, on June 12 and Shalit was kidnapped on, on June 26, 2006. He, so probably he lived 12 normal 
12 days of normal life in his entire life. And I mean, if you look at, again, the lack of access to food is huge and it's impacting every single Palestinian. And Israeli soldiers are bragging about it. They're mocking Palestinians. Probably you've seen this viral picture of Palestinian civilian in Rimal neighborhood um, forced to take off his um, clothes to his underpants and he was shot by the Israeli soldier. The Israeli soldier who did that posted this on social media saying, this is what I did. I mean, they're publishing their crimes. This poor Palestinian civilian is looking at him like this and like he's challenging him. So instead of humiliating this civilian, now the humiliation is 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 being directed at this soldier who's acting inhumanely uh, in Gaza. But there are also more soldiers who are doing this. I've seen videos of soldiers shooting three sheep in Khan Yunis. Why? Because they don't want, they do not want Palestinians to slaughter them and eat. Uh, I I have also seen uh, a video of Israeli soldiers throwing cans of food and just like in the street making fun of palestinians who do not have access to, to food these days as 18 countries decided to defund UNRWA, the un agency for palestinian refugees i i'm always shocked i've never thought that i will live to see these crimes on tv and this you know international silence it's unbelievable and as i said i think at least for, for, for my family, um, in, in a month's time, probably they will not be able to have two meals a day. Now they have two meals a day. They're lucky, as I said. But in one month, if this genocide doesn't end, God knows what's going to happen. And just just because you've spoken about it there, what we're talking about here as well is the impact on your on your brother and your mother and on people who are who are still in Gaza is the trauma, the long term trauma, the PTSD that we refer to, all of the ability and the lack of mental health services. And these are people, many people like the, some of the most impactful questions I've ever uh yeah, questions that I've asked of people, friends of mine in Gaza was just simply saying, How are you doing? And unfortunately, they asked at the wrong time and they just broke down. And this wasn't during this escalation or this this genocidal campaign. This was previous times. And I, I'm always reminded of Mahmoud Mushtaha telling me my name is Mah- He talked in the third person. My, my name is Mahmoud and uh, I live in one room. And he meant the walls of Gaza. He said, there is one door and I'm not allowed to go out of it. And there is one window and I'm not allowed to see the, see the world from it. And you know when we talk about it, that it, I I also want I want to read this out if it's if it's okay, just because we've got to remember all of this is happening in the context of the ICJ accepting that there's plausible case for genocide. So since 1945. Uh, Regimes that have been put on trial by the international community for genocide are 1945 Germany, 1993 Yugoslavia, 1994 Rwanda, 2001 Cambodia, 2019 Myanmar, and now 2024 Israel. So that is put that in context, and yet the the world is standing by as as most of the world is standing by and and allowing this to happen despite that actually coming to pass recently Yusuf so so look thank you for sharing what's happening can i can i give one little good bit of one good video that i saw cuz there's been a lot of bad did you all catch the video of um Hossam al-Atta the the Palestinian Newton 
the little uplifting video of the of the young boy who who took a um a dynamo the electricity guy yeah and and he just yeah. he, he hooked it up to his tent and so there could be light inside um it was a, i know it's really sad as well when you think about it for too long but it was incredible ingenuity and innovation by a young young teenager kid to go out and in the, out and, and come back with a with a with a fan and a and a generator and to be able to light it up as he said for um for the twins who were afraid at night that they'll have light and they won't be so scared. I thought that was a lovely little message. And imagine we're talking about twenty seven thousand plus and this doesn't include people who are still under the rubble, probably eight to nine thousand people. How many lives and you know potential scientists intellectuals uh, were were taken in, in in Gaza because of this genocide there are well, thousands of, of of people who who were murdered and their lives were cut short and probably they they had the greatest potential in, in the world and we have the example of Rifat yeah i was going to mention Rifat because we know that he was targeted um Precisely because of his, you know, luminous um, personal and and professional qualities as a writer and teacher and and mentor, and his his legacy is going around the world, you know, to this day. Even though it's like almost two months since he was targeted and killed. Um, while we're talking about mental health, I think it's important to um, just also. Recall this this terrible Telegram channel, and there I'm sure there are more than one on Telegram. But this one, they have proved that it was actually run by the Israeli military leadership. It has some terrible name like Seventy Two Virgins Uncensored, and it's basically a Telegram channel on which Isra- Israeli young men, maybe some not so young, but and maybe women as well, but but oh overwhelmingly young men, as I understand it, are able to post videos of the most cruel and and outrageous things that they do in order to brag about them. Um, you know, and that's where we saw, for example, the, the videos of the, like, dozens of Palestinian men stripped to their underpants being, you know, hauled off in, in trucks. Um, and where if if you just look at some of the videos which i you know i i honestly don't want to um but i think that it's important for everybody who is involved through our governments in funding the israeli military to understand that this is what they are spending some of their funds on is this outrageous propaganda um I, and it seems it to me it seems very sick and counterproductive, but I guess that on October seventh, the Israeli military and the Israeli society as a whole did undergo like a major trauma, and we probably need to like recognize that because suddenly their whole their whole defense concept was proven to be useless in the south. And maybe also in the north, um, but as a result, they felt they needed to do ever, anything possible in order to rally the uh, the feelings and the the fighting um, impulse of their young men, and they do so in this 
you know, outrageous way. So I think, you know, as we maybe have heard from this organization, Breaking the Silence, which is a, an organization of former Israeli fighters who had been doing bad things in the Israeli military, both in Gaza and the West Bank and earlier in Lebanon. And then when they come out of the military, they're like, oh my God, I did that, you know? And, and they go through a whole process of kind of internal spiritual moral reckoning. And then they come out and say, we need to tell the world about that. But how many thousands or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of young Israeli military men are going through this, which has been encouraged by that, by their, by their officers and by the leadership of the Israel Defense Forces. For me as a, an American, you know, my government has been funding this whole thing. We just need to stop. We need to say, like, stop this fighting, stop this hatred, stop this, like, it's harming Palestinians to the core, but it is also harming the young Israeli men who are involved in it. And it, it you know, it, it's hard to say that because what they're doing is outrageous, but it is harming them. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely like I mean, I don't know if you saw the testimony of the of the Israel, former IDF uh, soldier who talked spoke in the Knesset, really upset, and he spoke about waking up, finding himself trying to murder his own wife. And his wife standing behind him, standing by his side, holding him to, to stop him crying, knowing that he had done this and knowing that also there was no no way. He, so, yeah, it's like I'm not again, we're not going to get into a, a what about re or 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 the crimes, the crimes and what it does to people. But there are, it's it's an it's an evil it's an evil practice of killing people and it leaves impacts on 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 all sides and this is just something that i'm glad you you acknowledged it helena it's really important um yusuf i suppose if there's anything um that 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 you one thing you we, we maybe want to touch on is you talked about your own your own family who or your your mother and your brother the idea now it seems seems that am i right in saying that They've been so malnourished that they've been used to getting less food that they're struggling now to actually get, now that they have access to food, they're struggling with that. Absolutely. Yesterday they got sick and they had to see a doctor because they had three meals a day. And I told them, you have to imagine that it's um, post-Ramadan because, you know, Muslims fast for um, 29 to 30 days uh, a year. And after this month of fasting, it's hard to go back to your um, habits of, of eating easily. So you have to take it step by step. And I told them you have to eat step by step. You shouldn't eat too much. You can eat three times a day, but do not eat too much, um, which is very sad that, that we have this conversation. And, you know, one thing that also, um, but before I get to, to, to my other siblings asking me to get them out of Gaza, um, you know, thinking about the... Um, psyche of Israeli soldiers. Rifat was very uh, creative. And in, in fact, in his poetry and and in Gaza writes back, one of the stories he edited gets into the psyche of an Israeli soldier who goes back from Gaza. And it's, it's, it's exactly amazing. it's the story by Norel Burno. And you know, clearly Rifat loved all of these stories and he must have helped Noor to really put it together in the beautiful way that she did. And it's very, very similar to what Tony was talking about. You know, this this guy that 
goes home, an IDF soldier who goes home and, and, you know, finds himself wanting to murder his wife or something, you know, very violent and, and reliving what he had done earlier. So I, I think we need to absolutely recognize that Rifat and the students and, you know, mentees whom he led, of whom you were one, Yusuf, so <laughs> that, that, that's really important. They, they, they had like, he and his group of, of writers had this really rich understanding of, of human nature. I mean, including Rifat in one of his own, um, stories had the story of the raindrop that falls on each side of the wall, you know, and it falls on, on the Israeli settler or, or soldier and it falls on the Palestinian, um, farmer. So that the, the problem is not, as I understand it, like the Palestinians, um, you know, don't recognize the the humanity of Israelis, but it's the other way around. That for 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 too many Israelis, including these young men who are mobilized in in the military, the idea that Palestinians are human is like very very threatening to them. And this is you know what we see. Sorry, Yusuf, tell us more about your your siblings. And you had a family member who died also for lack of uh, medical care. Yeah, absolutely. You're right, Helena. You know, the dehumanization of Palestinians takes many forms and um, denying them medical care. My my father's cousin who had a kidney failure, he was sick for the past 15 years. He was always sick in Gaza, but, you know, being displaced in a tent in Rafah and having zero access to health care, he, he lost his life. Um, his name is... Uh, Saadi al-Jamal, and he left behind, you know, a family, uh, many, many kids and grandchildren. And even my family in Gaza couldn't uh, know that he passed away because of the blackout. My mom traveled on the same day he, he passed uh, away and she didn't know. There are people in my family who do not know the uh, location of their, you know, cousins and siblings because people are always in the move and there is a, a blackout. But, you know, in light of this situation and when I got my mom and youngest brother out, my other siblings have been reaching out. My my dad doesn't want to go out. He said, I will stay in Gaza regardless of what's going to happen. But my other siblings and one of them is injured, uh, gas, whatever, like tube, exploded in, in, in his arm and you can see the burns it's third degree it's terrible it's been two months and I saw the picture the other day of, of his arm it still needs like urgent medical care so I tried to get him out I applied I sent the documents along with my sister's younger sister youngest sister um, Idy and I got a no saying that only parents can get out. And it broke my heart. And my other brother is saying, you know, I have this problem in, in, in my uh, shoulder. Can this be like an, an enough reason to get me out? And, and then my other sister said, oh, do I need to get a medical report to get out? What is the way? What if they say no, what to do? And I had to tell her that they said no. It just breaks my heart that I cannot get them out. I cannot help them. And I have this guilt that I'm, you know, living my life here. Although I got my, my brother out and my, my mom out, but still I have a 
big family back home and I, I cannot help them and I feel helpless and, you know, just watching them basically die in Gaza. Gosh, what you, well, yeah, what do you say to that? <laughs> Yusuf, you know that we think and... Um, I well certainly I think that that what we're doing with the podcast is really important because we're building a web of understanding all around the world. So I have such huge respect for you and your leadership of this project and um you know I know that you're going through a tremendous amount but I want everybody who's listening to this to to just imagine what I mean Many of the listeners are themselves Palestinians from Gaza, but I hope also that we reach the ears of people who are not Palestinians from Gaza, for whom like it it may be hard or or something they haven't done just to put themselves in the in the shoes of somebody like Yusuf who is dealing with all these things. Um, just want to. Send a big a big hug to you, Yusuf, and another to your mother. Um, I I would love to meet your mother and your brother, brother Omar. I hope it happens soon. But thanks anyway. Thank you, thank you very much. And now I feel like uh, my body and my brain are in two places. So, like with my mom and brother here and taking care of them, but also with my family back home. Uh, which reminds me of uh, a novel Rifat asked uh, us to read for, in return for one grade. He was so mean. Uh, <laughs> I was born there and I was born here by Murid al-Barghouti. And this is how uh, I feel today. I'm I'm here, I'm there. I'm not like, you know, I'm in two different places um, mentally uh, and physically. I thank you very much and... Um, I would like to um, conclude uh, here. Uh, today, I would like to uh, thank the co-sponsors of PALCAST, the Hashim Sani Center for Palestinian Studies at the University of Malaya uh, in Malaysia. And I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation on Gaza, which is being starved today. We, again and again, for a ceasefire, an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Now, thank you. Palestine, we see your pain and pray for your truth. So I'm not saying it's the same, but see, we were the blueprint. Recognize the struggle, cause we've seen it before. Curse of Cromwell, bloody Sunday, and the burning of Cork. Balfour left his mark on the emerald oil. Then he went and lit a spark under the Zionist coin. The black and tans were ousted, finally, from these shores. Churchill went and sent him to the Palestine police force. Anybody born in the shadow of their main oppressor. Diamonds formed from years under the greatest pressure. Occupation over several centuries. Sadly, scars remain deep within collective memory, connected through history. We can hear your people's call. Up and down this island, your flag flies over City Hall. Deep down, we recognize under the rubble. Our brothers and our sisters from a similar struggle. Oich Ella! Oich Ella! Oich Ella! Lanami the Roigni Nyerke Kurlekela! Gazan's Pendin! Trapped by the wall, Israelis daily violating international law. Military aid, the Lehilah neglected as exceptions are made. 
Gaza, they literally have their backs to the wall. Israelis daily violating international law. F-16s, Apaches, US military aid. The Levy law neglected as exceptions are made. Collective punishment, the slaughter of civilians. You don't target anyone when you cut water off to millions. Oasis of democracy, far from that. Families forced from the West Bank as land gets grabbed. Like 1984 on a daily basis. NSO, Pegasus, Blue Wolf surveillance. Amazon and Google workers want to what they witnessed. Plead with them to put an end to Project Nimbus. Unit 8. Unit A200 trying to do more spying Need real journalism to review their crimes APAC, hijack, what's truth or lies So you may not read about it in the New York Times Oij, Ella Oij, Ella Oij, Ella Zanami de Roigny Nyerke Kulakela Resistance from the Raytheon 9 or an Elbit system. Solidarity to people no different to you and I. Ask the UN Betzalem or Rabbis for human rights. Anybody listening who refuses to get it. Criticizing war crimes isn't anti Semitic. We know Jews and Zionists are not one and the same. Love to Jewish voice for peace, screaming not in our name. We coined the term boycott down around Westport. Ironically, might just be our proudest export. Call for BDS and more trade embargoes. For Steve and those imports not to take their cargo. We mourn innocent debts of every persuasion, but know the way to end the violence is to end the occupation. Pray this dark night will end. And we'll see the dawn, Ireland to Palestine, Sir Shah Shia Khan.